1 Samuel chapter 16. So we're going to be today, and our passage is going to be uh, verses 13 through verse 23. We're going to include a little bit of what we spoke about last week into our passage today, just so that we can get a better context of the story. Let me start reading from verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the middle of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the, Beth- Beth- the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I hope the first thing that caught your attention about this sermon is the title, Things That I Do Not Understand. This passage is very, um, very peculiar, but, and because of how peculiar it is, it's very interesting to us as we read it and then as we begin to dive into it. Um, in this story, we see that David is spiritually anointed by God and that the whole point and purpose of that anointing was for him to become the new king. And when we speak about someone being anointed in the Old Testament, it's them being set aside. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a physical ceremony, uh, but spiritually it's, it means something else that God is doing. And they are being set aside for something. Um, whenever someone was to go and worship in the presence of God, they would have to anoint themselves. They would have to set themselves aside. It was a sign of repentance and faithfulness towards God. And then on this, on, in this hand here, or in this example, it was an example of God's selection of somebody. So David is anointed by God, and Saul's spiritual anointing is removed by God. Okay. There's the physical side to the anointing. As I said before, that's displaying something that's happening inside. right? It's, it's displaying something that God is doing inside a man's heart or inside a man's will. And we see David being anointed by God and Saul being basically the anointing of God being removed for him are from him. 
And we see that God has, in both of these situations, we see that God has sovereign control of, of, of everything that is going on. Uh, he has sovereign control in the life of David, and then he has sovereign control in the life of Saul. One man he blesses, and then the other man he punishes. Uh, when you look at this story, it has implications for everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean believers and unbelievers. See, there is no denying the sovereign power of God to bless or to punish. And there is no denying his sovereign power over all spiritual forces of heaven and earth. He, he is God alone. God is the Lord of hosts. We've heard that title before in uh, this book, and we're going to spend some time talking about that again today. He is the Lord of hosts, and as the Lord of hosts, he does as he pleases to accomplish his will. That is something that is his creation we must come to understand. And as hard-headed as we are, God teaches us this lesson every single day. See, when we see God as the Lord of hosts and we come to the understanding that he does as he pleases for the specific reason of accomplishing his will, well, that leads us to not understand some things that are happening in our lives. And that's, that's why I titled it the way I did. Because every single day things happen and we do not have an answer for them. Uh, sometimes the future looks dark and you're like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Sometimes it's the past that you can't get over. Either way, we're not going to find the answers ourselves. Our answer lies in the Lord. And though we do not understand, the Lord does because he is directing everything that is occurring in our lives. And that's one thing that we learn from this passage. So let's go ahead and dive into it and, and see what we can pull out and actually, you know, and then also get an application that we can walk out of this church and, and follow. So as we read, I, I pray that the Lord gives us wisdom to understand, conviction to stir our hearts, and then the courage to walk in obedience to his word. As I always like to do, I want to break down the passage for you, so I want to exegete it. I want to pull out the reason, the purpose behind this passage. And what we see here is the rejection of Saul and the anointing of David. That's the, the main thing that is happening here, but then we'll talk about why this is happening. Uh, as I said before, this text is intriguing because of the different events that are taking place. Uh, let's look at verses 13 and 14 once more, just to remind ourselves exactly what is happening. In verse 13, we see David. He is being set aside as the new king because Saul has sinned against the Lord. And so we see that Samuel, who is the priest of the nation, that he takes oil and anoints him in the midst of his brothers. That was a sign that uh, David was being selected amongst his brothers. He was the youngest, most unimpressive, but yet that was the man whom God had chose to lead the nation. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now that's very interesting because when Saul was anointed, it said that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, but it did not say from that day forward. David, his anointing was different because uh, it, the spirit remained with him. And then at, at their, that point, we cut to Saul and we see something happening in his life as well. It says, now the spirit of the Lord 
departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's why this text is intriguing, because you, 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 have, the, you have the anointing of David, and then basically you have the removal of the anointing of Saul, and all this is being orchestrated by God. Um, the removal of the Holy Spirit from Saul, let's start there. Uh, it, it, was, it was pretty interesting to see how and why that came to be. Uh, the removal of the Holy Spirit from Saul was a removal of, of empowering him to be able to be king. And then the rushing of the Holy Spirit upon David was, was an, an empowering him to be king. So one is a removal of empowering, and then the other one is an act of empowering. So David is being empowered to be able to be king, and Saul, is, his, his empowerment is being removed by God so that he is no longer king. When you look at Saul, without the, hope, without the help of the Holy Spirit, Saul would no longer be a new man. I don't know if you remember that in our text, but when Saul at first become king, when he was chosen by God, uh, God had told him that the spirit of the Lord would come upon him and he would be a new man. Well, he would be a new man in the sense that he would have new abilities. He would be able to be king of the nation and he'd be able to lead God's people. Well, that was being removed from him. So he would no longer be this new man and he would no longer be fit for the throne. See, this was God's judgment on Saul for his continual disobedience to his word. God had warned him that the kingdom was being torn away from him, and now we're seeing it come to fruition. And we talked about how when the kingdom, when God told him that the kingdom would be torn away from him, that it would not be a pretty thing. It would be a pretty ugly thing. I don't know if you've ever had something torn or, or something rip while you're wearing it. It's not a pretty sight, is it? You, you hear, first of all, you hear the noise and then you're like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I've been up here preaching before and I kind of move my leg in the wrong direction and I hear a rip. I'm like, well, there goes those, those pair of pants. Uh, for something to be torn from you or, or something to be torn apart is aggressive. It's hurtful. It brings upon suffering. And that's exactly what we see happening in Saul's life. Because not only do we see the removal of God's spirit, but then we see this harmful spirit that is placed in him. So that's what we need to talk about next in verse 14. What does harmful mean? What does the Bible mean here? What's, what's happening? Well, harmful does not necessarily mean evil in this case. And that's what I found very interesting. Uh, when you look at the translations of the words and then you also look upon what other very brilliant minds have, have understood from this passage, harmful does not necessarily mean evil. Because we tend to read this story and we think that Saul was possessed by an evil demon. And, and you know, Hollywood has helped us to see what that looks like. And uh, that's not necessarily true. This, that, not, that might not be happening in this case. The fact is, is that we really don't know, but harmful does not mean evil. Think about this. This harmful spirit could also have been an angel sent to torment him as well. Not, not a fallen angel. I'm talking about one of God's messengers, one of God's servants, an, an angel of the Lord to come and not the angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord to come and torment him. 
See, we must be careful of what conclusions we come to from this passage. I will admit, Saul's an interesting character. I, I, I don't know where he stands. It's hard to determine if he was a believer or not. See, the removal of the spirit was for equipping Saul as king. What this passage is not talking about, it's not talking about a removal of his regeneration. It's not saying, well, Paul was saved and then God pulled his Holy Spirit from him and Paul's, or not, I said Paul, Saul was saved and, 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 and God pulled his, his spirit from Saul and then he was no longer saved. It's, it's talking about his ability to become king. But on the other hand, there is no mention of God's regenerating work in Saul as well. The whole, the whole thing about him being equipped with the Holy Spirit, again, was pinpointed for his job as king. Well, Saul's an Israelite. He's amongst God's people, but we know that not all Israelites were saved. There was a remnant that God kept for himself, and that's the question. Is he numbered among the remnants? I don't know. Only God knows. It makes it, a hard, it makes it harder on us as we preach on Saul and, and we try to figure out what's going on here. But what's happening today is very evident. This is not a removal of the Holy Spirit to where Saul is lost. This removal of the Spirit is for his equipping of the ministry God had given him. But either way, his experience was not pleasant because this harmful spirit that God had placed in him drove him insane. It rushed upon him. It, it brought him misery. It brought him pain. It, it brought on anger. It brought on other horrible things. And as we continue to go through this letter, we're going to see some of those things that happened to Saul because of this harmful spirit. And it was so recognizable in Saul's life that even his, his servants recognized the presence of this spirit in him. Look at verses 14 and, or excuse me, verses 15 and 16. It says, Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Then in verse 16, he says, Hey, let us go find someone who can help you with this. So we have Paul's, or Saul's uh, servants uh, approaching him and first of all identifying, Hey, something is wrong here. And by the way, let us help you with that problem. Now, all that is interesting, but it almost takes away from the real purpose of, of why this is written down and, and what's really happening that we need to see. See, the thing that I would like to point out to you is not so much the whole dynamics and specifics about that, that harmful spirit going into Saul and then, and then David having the spirit rush upon him. The important thing that is happening here is the outworking of the Lord's divine activity. That's, that's what's important. Because if you look at what's happening, I want to lay it out step by step for you. Saul is rejected by God from being king because he does not obey the word of the Lord. He lives in continual disobedience. And he was warned and he continued to live in disobedience. So Saul is rejected. Then we see the spirit of the Lord leaves Saul and we know that that was the spirit of the Lord and, his, and the spirit's ability to equip him for the kingship, that leaves Saul. The Lord sends a harmful spirit to torment him. 
And then in return, Saul seeks help with this harmful spirit. So we see the divine activity of the Lord taking place in Saul's life. Now let's look on the other side. David is chosen by God, and he's anointed to be the new king. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David because the Lord sent the spirit to David. And then David is chosen by Saul to minister to him when he is being tormented by the harmful spirit that God sent his way. Now, the reason why I point, I, I, I point to that and say, hey, this is really important, is because God's judgment on Saul paved the way for David to gain favor of the people of Israel and eventually replace Saul as king. And we're seeing this played out before our very eyes. And when I look at that, I see that as the immediate purpose of God's divine activity in this passage. I feel like that's why we're reading this passage. That's what we need to learn from this passage. God's divine activity, some of the things that we do not pick up, some of the things that are happening in our lives that we do not understand, some of these things that are happening that we do not understand the implications of, of what's happening for the future. We, we do not know, but yet it's happening. And it's not happening by chance. It's happening because God is directing it to happen. This is what he has determined in his will to do in our lives. I'd like to use myself as an example. I stand before you not because I was completely confident that I was going to come to this church and become uh, the, uh, the senior pastor of the church and, you know, start to preach to the members of this church and just be here for 20-something years. That, that never crossed my mind. In fact, uh, 25, year, 25 years ago, or not 25, 2002, so... 20 years ago, man, 20 years ago, I got mixed up because I was 25 at that time. So 20 years ago, we walked into this church and we walked in, my wife and I, no kids in hand or anything. Those were the good old days. <laughs> just joking, kids, just joking. So we walked in here, just us two, and the church had brought us before the congregation so to call us as the youth leaders. We walked in here, we talked to everybody, and some people are still here to this day. Some people, I remember that meeting like it was yesterday. We're sitting here, we're talking to everybody, we're getting to know all the parents and everything. And there was nothing in me that day that said, you're going to be here for 20 years. Nothing at all. And we did that for a number of years, and then God began to do his work and started calling me to preach. I began to preach. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm coming in, I'm happy serving, I'm going to seminary, I'm just, I'm just having a great old time. And one day, my pastor comes and says, I'm leaving. God has called me elsewhere. And I think you're the right man to pastor this church in between, you know, in between, in between uh, me and another pastor who's coming in. And I looked at him and I said, you're crazy. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm not equipped for that. I can't do that. But yet God stirred in my heart to do that. And throughout the years, there's been a couple of times where I thought I wanted to leave. Leave ministry just completely. God said, you're, you're not. You're not going anywhere. This is where I have you. This is where you're going to stay until 
I let you go. And through all that, I didn't understand. My wife didn't understand. It was very difficult. It was very frustrating. I had no idea what the Lord was going to do when I walked in that day. You were in the same boat. Your life right now may be falling apart. Your life might, right now might be good. But it's not necessarily going to stay that way. You see, God is doing a work in our lives. There is divine activity that is happening. It goes further than just what we see with our eyes or what we hear with our ears, what we can touch with our hands. It goes a lot further than that. That's why we should never lose hope in any kind of situation. And also, on the other side, we should never get too prideful to know that we think what's going to happen or we, we think we know what's going to happen. That we think we have things figured out. As we see David and Saul, and we see God's divine activity taking place between their lives. We see David enter the service of Saul as his healer and his armor bearer. But this would only be the beginning. David knew that he was anointed as king. But think about, think about this young man who's anointed as king. He knows that there's a king there already. He's probably has, he probably has a thousand questions. What's going on? Why am I being anointed as king when we already have a king? And they probably told him, you cannot tell Saul that you're anointed as king because he will surely kill you. So there he goes into the belly of the beast to serve the guy he is going to replace. You see, when we look at all this, there is a biblical truth that we have to come to understand. And we have to accept. And that truth is that the will of the Lord is over our own will. We have to accept that. And that is so hard. It takes a lot of humbling for us to be able to do that. To realize and to live life in a way that you know that the will of the Lord is over your own will. Because we, we deal with the flesh. We want what we want. We think we know best. We think we're smarter than everybody else. But our ways are not his ways. See, Saul had been rejected by God and David had been chosen to take his place as king. But all of the details were being orchestrated by the divine activity of the Lord. It was his will that drove everything. I'm reminded of Zechariah 4, 6, where the Lord says that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we waste a lot of time thinking things are by our own might. That we get by in this life by our own power. We waste a lot of time thinking that we are really in control. But then God shows us that all things occur by his spirit. He is directing everything towards his will. See, God orchestrates the events of human history through the working of his spirit. That's what the Bible tells us, and that's what is true. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. And also, that's why the Bible says that in him we live, we move, and we have our being, Acts 17, 28. There are many more passages that point us to the fact that God is in control. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of our lives. And he works 
things out according to the counsel of his own will. See, he doesn't have to ask us what we think is, you know, he doesn't have to ask us what we think we would like to happen. He doesn't have to ask our permissions for him to do anything. He does them. We have no choice but to accept it. But the one thing about what he does, it's all good. It's all good. And it's all for our good. And that's amazing because sometimes things hurt. Sometimes things are painful, but yet it's bringing about fruit that would have never been there if we, we hadn't gone through it. Scripture also says, oh, I already said that, that in him we live and have our being. But the Lord, as the Lord of hosts and the Lord of our lives, he, worked things, he works things out according to his will. And the phrase, the Lord of hosts, has been used many times in the book that we have been reading. Um, in fact, it's been used four different times. 1 Samuel 1.3, Akana, who is the, son, or the, the father of Samuel, he is said to faithfully worship the Lord of hosts. In 1 Samuel 1.11, Hannah prays to the Lord of hosts uh, so that she could have Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel 4.4, uh, 4, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts is brought to the battlefield. 1 Samuel 15.2, the Lord of hosts speaks to Samuel about the Amalekites. When we look at that name of God or that phrase, the Lord of hosts, it means uh, and it depicts Yahweh's role as the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's the commander of the cosmic forces. He's the head of the divine council, and he's the leader of Israel's army. And also, he is the Lord of your life. It's no accident that this name has consistently been used in this book that we have been studying. It's a constant reminder, and it's for our benefit to help us to understand that the Lord is sovereign over all things, both in heaven and on earth. See, it is true that when we read this passage and we walk away from it, even today, we cannot fully understand what is going on. There are a lot of passages like that. We can't fully comprehend. We can't fully understand. We leave with questions. Questions like, was Saul possessed by an evil spirit? Was Saul tormented by an angelic being? Was Saul a reprobate or, or, or not? Was he depraved? Uh, why did the Spirit of the Lord leave Saul, but it never left David? Like These are all questions that, that I can think of for myself as I leave this passage that are just not answered. But then I, I think about my life, and I'd like for you to think about your life, and it's the same thing. We have questions about our own life. What is happening to me right now? Has God forgotten about me? What good is he doing in my life because I can't see it? Why am I stuck in life right now? Why do I continue to have such a difficult time? And so on and so on and so on. And we walk around and we, do not, we really do not have answers for these questions. But yet we know something is driving the events that are occurring in our lives. We may have questions, but we must know that no matter what question we have, that it is the Lord of hosts who is in control. He holds our lives in his hands. Now that's easy to say, hard to believe, to really truly believe it. 
Because when things are happening in our lives and things are out of control, that's the last thing we think about because our mind goes into survival mode and we're thinking, what are we going to do to completely change what's happening in our lives? How are we going to fix it? We don't have the answer. Not in ourselves. The answer is the Lord. What if our job is not to fix it? What if our job is to learn from it? What if we spent more time focusing on that? Not trying to fix our problems, but to learn from our problems. To see what the Lord is teaching us. To see where the Lord is taking us. To come to grips with it. And to praise him through it. That seems to be more of our job than to try to fix it. The London Baptist Confession of Faith, paragraph 5, verse 1, says this. God, the creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose for which they were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. In other words, the Lord of hosts is the Lord of all. And he is directing the details of every life according to his own will. That is the truth. And that's what we gain from this passage. Now let's talk about an application. How do we put this into footsteps? How do we walk out of here and walk in obedience to what we have been taught today? Well, I think the most important thing, at least in my opinion, when I look at an application, and you may see different applications, and that's fine. As long as we determine what the passage is, is speaking to us and what God's word is saying, there are tons of applications that come out of this. But one thing that strikes me square in the nose is that I must trust the Lord of hosts. I must trust him. I I can't fully understand him. I cannot fully understand what's going on in my life. I have so many questions that will not be answered until I'm on the other side of heaven. But I can't change it. I just have to trust him. Why? Because I know he's good. And I know he's working for my good. See, since God is the Lord of hosts, then there are some implications that we have to consider because of that. Number one, God is in control of every detail of every day for every person. That is crazy to try to wrap your mind around. He is in control of every detail of every day for every person. But you know what that means? That means there is order and there is purpose. That's what that means. And what a wonderful gift from the Lord to know that. Because if you're a person who believes in karma, a lot of people say they use the word karma. They really don't understand what that all means. But it's really just putting things up to chance. We're not people of karma. 
Things are not left to chance. There is someone who is in control of every detail of every day for every person. God is working out his will in our lives. So there is purpose and there is order. We sometimes wonder why things happen to us. Or we sometimes wonder if God even cares that they are happening to us. Well, if you leave here today, you do not have to wonder anymore. There's no need to wonder if God knows what's happening or if he even cares. Because the answer to both of those questions is yes, he knows what's happening and yes, he cares. And he's directing the events of your life for a purpose, for a reason. And the ultimate conclusion of all that is going to be for his glory. And you're good. See, without our success and without our sorrow, we wouldn't be us. He has brought us to this very place. Now, let me speak to you personally. If you're basking in his goodness or if you're angry with him right now, it doesn't matter. He has brought you here. That is the important thing. You are here right now, sitting in that seat, listening to this message. God has orchestrated that. He is speaking to you. He's letting you know you're not the Lord of your life. He is. Secondly, we need to know that God has the right to do as he pleases. To accomplish his will. See we cannot box God in. We cannot make rules and standards for him to follow. Because I know we like to do that for other people in our lives. But we cannot do that for God. We cannot be in control like we want to be in control. And we should not look at a story like this and say. Well wait a second. Why is this happening to Saul? That's mean. That's not fair. We have no right to do that. And guess what? We have no right to do that with our own lives, to look at our own lives and say, why am I this way? Why has God done this to me? It's not fair. Sure, we can do that. We can actually do that. But if we really think about what's fair, we would come to the conclusion that God is merciful. God has made it clear that we are the vessels and he is the one who fills all in all. I think what we should focus more on is being a vessel for honorable use, right? Because that's what the Bible tells us. If you attended one of the uh, uh, home group studies this uh, past uh, Wednesday or Thursday, we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 2. And within 2 Timothy chapter 2, there's this illustration that is given about vessels of honorable use and vessels of dishonorable use. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use and some are for dishonorable use. And it, there's a calling in this passage for us Christians. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's what we need to focus on. We need to set aside. We need to get away. We need to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable and focus on being a vessel of honorable use. Third, 
God is the final judge of all things, since all things are under his authority alone. Now, for those who do not honor him, the Bible tells us that they will give an account to him. We can live our life freely and we can think that we are in control and we can honor ourselves and serve ourselves all of our lives. And God will allow that to happen. But in the very end, we will have to give account to him. For those who are his, the Bible also tells us that he will discipline us when we sin. And that discipline will not be pleasant, but it will be necessary. He is the one who judges all things, and we must remember that the Bible says that vengeance is his. So God is the final judge of all things because he is the one who has created all things. And then lastly, as an application, we must realize that God is owed the highest of reverence and obedience from every creature because he is the one who has created them and he is the one who has called them. It is sinful for us to approach God as a man. And unfortunately, it happens very often, even from the pulpit. People like to compare themselves to God or God to themselves. And, they're, and, and whatever they think of concerning God, they relate it to themselves and say, well, God is like me in this way and this way, and he should act this way, or he shouldn't do this because I wouldn't do this. It, it's sinful when we do that. And when we see different examples of that in the Bible, that sin is pointed out. One example that I always think of is Job. We understand the, the, the story of Job. He was tested by the devil. And the devil could do anything he wanted as long as he didn't take his life. Well, Job lost everything. And in this whole story, Job has three friends that come and speak to him and they talk about different things. And Job, his sin is, is the fact that he thought of God as a man. And he began to question God like a man. And God finally answered him after all of his empty talk. God answered him and, and he, he showed Job why he is the Lord and why Job is a man and the difference between them. And it's a long discourse that God gives him about where was Job whenever he formed all of creation. And you start to go through this and you're just, you, feel, you feel so small when you start to read that passage and you begin to understand the glory of God. And after Job heard the Lord, he regretted what he had said. He regretted it completely. But this is what his response was to the Lord after he had said it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Think about that for a minute. I know that you can do all things. That doesn't just mean that, Lord, I know you can do anything you want in, in this world, or I know you can do anything you want in this situation. What Job is saying is that I know you can do all things, including in my own life. I know you don't need my permission. I know you don't have to go and consult with your angels before you do anything. I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Cannot be stopped. No purpose of yours. Whatever you have decided to do, it's going to happen. And that includes us. 
That includes us and what we think about it. We do not have the ability to stop God at what he has decided to do. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Now you kind of get where I came up with the title. I have uttered what I do not understand. How many times have we done that? We get upset at God, we say things without thinking about them without truly understanding what's happening. Job confesses to that. He sees that sin in himself. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Then he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's Job 42, verses 1 through 6. I, I want to end with that passage because to me that's what it's all about. There are things that are happening in our lives we, we have no clue. Just like Saul and David. They might have had some kind of understanding, but they had no idea what the Lord was doing. And Saul couldn't change his destiny, so to speak. David could not change his. God was going to do what he was going to do, and he was going to do it for his glory and the good of his people. Now we can grab their lives, and we can apply the same truths to our lives. Things have happened. Things are happening. Things will happen that we do not understand, but we must know that God is good regardless. We must know that God is orchestrating everything to come to pass. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. But that meaning and that purpose is not found outside of God and his will. Your life, your dreams, everything that you want to do is under the will of God. The faster or the quicker you come to that realization, the more peace you will have in your own life. Makes no use for us to fight against the Lord. That's the fight that we will not win. So there are many things that we do not understand. But no matter what, we must learn to lean on our creator for help and also for hope in all of these things. Let us pray.